I think it must have, it must have appeared a massive task. Seeing the broken down walls and the burnt gates and the ruined walls, all of the ruins. And uh, humanly speaking, I don't know how Nehemiah m- might have felt, he might have felt, how on earth could we ever do this? But as we've been thinking today about keeping our eyes on Jesus, his name, his eyes were on God, on God's faithfulness, on God's f- greatness and power. Um, just as our eyes are on God for the building project, especially the building project. And uh, he knew that with God's help he could fulfill that project. At the end of chapter 2 we saw how he shared with the leaders um, and the people of Jerusalem his vision, the vision that God had put in his heart, and they together said, yes, we're with you and we'll be part of this project and we'll be fully behind it. So we come to chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles and you'd like to follow it, if you're following a church Bible, it's page 484 there. I don't know if anybody's read this chapter in advance. If you have, you'll know that it's actually a chapter that's full of names. There's a lot of occupations mentioned. There's a lot of names of the towers and the gates that, and sections of the wall that were to be rebuilt. So. I'm not going to go through this verse by verse, commenting on sort of verses or sections as we go, as I've done the last two chapters. But we are going to read it all the way through. And I've asked Alice and Spink (laughs) 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 to come (laughs) and help me, not just to read it on her own, but to help me to read it. And as we read it, perhaps just to give you sort of a help as we go through it, I I thought of one or two things to look out for. To look out for the type of people who were involved in the project, what they did for a living. Look out for some of the recurring words and phrases that come. (laughs) Look out for some of the recurring words and phrases that come. It might give a, a bit of an insight into the themes. If all else fails, see if we make a right mess of these names. That's the one way. So, over to you. Oh, no, I'm starting, aren't I? Well, okay, I'll start. You, you stand there and I'll start here. Okay. So, Nehemiah 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it. Then, as far as the Tower of Hananiel, next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Also, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. We might not always get the right pronunciation of these names, but we'll have a go. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, made repairs. Next to them, Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabil, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Barna, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders, literally their necks, as, you, as sort of um, oxen would not be yoked together because they got stiff necks, that's the thought. 
would not put their necks, I've lost my place, sorry, put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. Moreover, Jehida, the son of Pasea, and Meshullam, the son of Bethodia, repaired the old gate. They laid its beam. Oh, shall I do that again? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> Moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Pasea, and Meshullam, the son of Bethodia, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Malatia, the Gibeonite, Jadon, the Meronothite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Hohiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And also, next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs, and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, leader of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramath, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, made repairs. Malchijah the son of Harim and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section as well as the Tower of the Ovens. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halahesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hecherem, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Shalon, the son of Kolhazer, the leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, leader of half the district of Bethzer, made repairs as far as the palace in front of the tombs of David, to the man-made pool and as far as the house of the mighty. After him, the Levites, under Rehum, the son of Barney, made repairs. Next to him, Hashabiah, leader of half the district of Keilah, made repairs for his district. After him, their brethren, under Bavai, the son of Henadad, leader of the other half of the district of Keilah, made repairs. And next to him, Ezar, the son of Jeshua, the leader of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Barak, the son of Zabai, diligently repaired the other section, from the buttress to, do, to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, the priests, the men of the plain, made repairs. After him, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maseah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. 
And after him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section, from the house of Azariah to the buttress, even as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, made repairs opposite the buttress, and on the tower which projects from the king's upper house that was by the court of the prison. After him, Padea, the son of Perosh, made repairs. Moreover, the Nethinim, who dwelt in Ophel, made repairs as far as, far as the place in front of the water gate towards the east, and on the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section, next to the great projecting tower, and as far as the wall of Ophel. Beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs in front of his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Sekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, made repairs. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zelath, repaired another section. After him, Meshalam, the son of Berechiah, made repairs in front of his dwelling. And after him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the Nethanin and of the merchants, in front of the Mifkad gate and as far as the upper room at the corner. And between the upper room at the corner, as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's close the service, shall we? <laughs> let's pray. Lord, we know it's uh, a part of your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the preciseness of your word. But we thank you, Lord, for the help of your Holy Spirit who inspired this word. And we pray that he may help us in our understanding to hear what you have to say through us today to our own hearts and to us as a church. So, Lord, would you help us? Help me, I pray, and help us to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you might be wondering, what on earth are we going to get out of that chapter? To be honest, that's what I was thinking when I was looking at it, and thinking in preparation when I was first looking at this. So I thought to myself, well, I'll look at how others have approached the message. So I went online, and I went to one well-known preacher who I know has preached through this, I won't tell you his name. He began his sermon by saying, in chapter 3, you have the names of all the families and the sections of the walls where they would be working. And because the names really are insignificant to us, we're not going to wade through chapter 3, but go on to chapter 4. So I thought, well, that's really helpful. Another preacher I looked at, and this was interesting, This he, he took each of the gates that's mentioned, he looked at the significance of the names of the gates, and he drew lessons from them. So, for example, the sheep gate, for him, signified the Lamb of God, who, whose blood was shed on the cross. The fish gate, he said, spoke of our call to witness, because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. The old gate, he said, spoke of truth. Truth is always old, which it is, and foundational. 
And everything that comes out of that rests on that foundation. About the water gate, he said that in Scripture, water is always a symbol of the Word of God, which is not quite accurate. But interestingly, he added that the water gate was the only gate that didn't need to be repaired, which he said fitted well with the Word of God. I must say, Watergate for me is always associated with Richard Nixon and things, so I can't get that up in mind. But the horse gate, he said, speaks of the need for battle, ready for battle, rather. The horse is a symbol in Scripture of warfare. I was interested in what he made of the dung gate. He said, the dung gate reminds us that we should all have a spiritual dung gate in our lives. <laughs> That's inventive by which we get rid of all of the things that smell in God's eyes, in God's sight rather, God's smell. So anyway, that's an interesting way of looking at it, but I'm, I, I was thinking I don't have the ingenuity and I don't have uh, the imagination to look at it that way, so we're not going to look at it in that way. But I did find that as I was thinking about this, there's a lot in here, obviously, about working together and about unity, especially in the church. In fact, it's a wonderful example of how the Holy Spirit moved in a whole community right across the board and stirred people up to be involved in very real, practical ways. So it's a wonderful Old Testament example of what the New Testament church should be like. And I think it's a great, there are some wonderful principles that come out of this, actually, that apply to us for the church, but also for the building project. We can apply them to both of those things. That's how we're going to look at this passage. So, uh, there are, you don't need to count them, but there are 38 individual workers that are mentioned in that chapter. And actually, there are 42 different work parties. What's interesting to me is that Nehemiah knew everyone by name of those people. They were, they were individuals to him. You know, they, they weren't just sort of anonymous workers. Each one had a name. Each one was assigned a place and a task. So there were those, I'm sure, well, there were, we know that there were those with building expertise and they had building expertise that they, they could draw on as they worked and they put that expertise to, in, into practice. There would be others who would be needed to clean the stones and to shape the stones, to carry the stones, put them into place. There would be those who would be needed to work on the, the wood for the gates and, and the lintels and all the gate posts. Others would be needed to clear away the rubbish and the rubble. Everyone had a part to play. Every section of the wall was vital for the completion of the whole. That's a picture of the church and the work of the church. In the church, and I'm thinking perhaps of the, the, the wider church, God has a purpose for his church. And in those churches and in the local church, God has a part to play for every person in that church. And every task matters. Whatever it is that we're involved in. In the 16th century, the minister, well, William Tyndale, he was trying to encourage 
Christians who worked as servants in the household, the Tudor households of that day. This is what he said, it's in Old English. He said, now that thou ministerest, Now that thou that ministereth in the kitchen, and art but a kitchen servant, know that God put thee in that office. If thou compare deed for deed, there is a difference between washing dishes and preaching the word of God. But as touching to please God, none at all. Okay, what he's saying was, and I think it's great, that whatever we're doing, there might be different functions that we do and we have to play, in our, a part to play in, our, in the church, but as to pleasing God, there's no difference at all. So whatever we do, we can please God and do it to the glory of God. I think that is so important. That is a, that is a principle in the, in the Bible. It comes all the way through, especially through that new t- the New Testament. Some of us, we feel, there are times, aren't there, when we feel, well, I feel that I've got little to offer, really. I feel that what I have to offer is, is pretty insignificant, really, compared maybe to others. And when we feel like that, you can, you can easily get discouraged and you can get dispirited. But every one of us has a vital part to play in God's purposes. I came across this, this a, a bishop once said this, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I love to do. And what I ought to do, by God's grace... I will do. And that's not bad coming from a bishop. And he wasn't a particularly good bishop, actually. It just goes to show if you speak long enough, you're bound to say something good eventually. Yeah. That there is a work that God has planned for you and for me. That, that isn't just a nice thought. That's a biblical principle and truth. Ephesians 2, verse 10 familiar verse, uh, scripture, often turn to it. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, let me read it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has created works. In fact, before you were born, God had works for you planned, God's got works for you that he has planned that only you can do. And those are the works for God, whether they be in the church or out of the church, or the sphere of the church, that God wants you to do, to use the gifts God's given you and the personality and the experience you have for his glory. And it's an exciting adventure every one of us faces in trying to find out what those works are. How do we do that? You say, I don't know what works God has for me. This is the key. I tell you what the key is. Be available. Be available. When you're available, when you've got a, a willing spirit, God can easily lead you. 
into his works. And if you want to get involved in some ministry in the church, there are always, and there are always areas to get involved with, pray about where God would have you. Come with that willing heart, say, Lord, I'm available. Then pray about it, and then make some inquiries about, well, what are the ministries that we could be involved with? What could we do? What are the needs? Maybe talk to somebody, maybe talk to myself or others in the church you know are in leadership. But it begins by saying, here I am, wholly available. We're going to sing that at the end. It's going to be our response to this message. Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Now, interestingly, the first people in this chapter who we read about who were involved in the wall rebuilding were the priests. Verse 1. And the high priest... Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hananiel. Obviously, I suppose it's by its name we know the sheep gate was where the sheep went in. Because that was near the temple, that was where the sacrifices were made. So the priests had a vested interest, if you like, in building the sheep gate and around the sheep gate. But priests doing manual labour and the high priest rolling up his sleeve, getting involved. But that's what they did. Because they were the spiritual leaders people looked up to them, if they were just sort of on the outside, just saying, do this, do that, and we're, we're praying for you, that wouldn't have really inspired the people. Leaders are called to set the example. Whatever ministry you're involved in, if you're in a leadership situation and position, God wants you to be a shining example. So that others are encouraged by you, not discouraged. The Apostle Paul said this to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 and uh, verse 12. 1 Tim 4 verse 12. He said to Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Timothy was to be an example by those things. And as a leader, I cannot ask people to do what I'm not willing to do or to be what I'm not willing to become. So leaders must set the example. And I, you know, I was thinking about this. I, I praise God and I thank God that we have godly leaders, spiritual leaders in our church, in all areas of the church. And people who seek humbly, with God's grace, to be an example in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. We have a lot to be thankful for. But don't take that for granted. Pray for those who have re leadership responsibilities in ministries, in teams, within the church. You know, I, I, I've seen that set, the, the example set wonderfully regarding the building project. I'm, I'm privileged to see things that others probably don't see behind the scenes. 
And I see an amazing commitment to that project from its leaders, from our leaders. And they set, an exam they set the example in word, action, and in giving. And I know that. I can say that. Um, some have, well, all I know have given sacrificially to that. They're setting the example. You, you won't know the details, and rightly so, but they, they are. We, we are to be thankful for what God has done in that way. Some of the people, interestingly, work near their homes. I don't know if you noticed that. So verse 10. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramath, made repairs in front of his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabniah, made repairs. Verse 23. After him, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maseah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs by his house. Verse 28. Beyond the horse gate, the priests made repairs each in front of his own house. So, in fact, on at least six different occasions, people worked near their homes. That makes sense, doesn't it? They would be highly motivated, wouldn't they? Because they, those, their homes were dependent on the defences of those walls. And so they were dependent, so they were dependent for the safety on those walls being built. And I think there's a spiritual parallel here as well. That our Christian service begins at home. Simple as that. That is so important. First and foremost, I need to shine for Jesus at home. In my the home for you might be your work, it might be your neighborhood might be your family, it might be your business, that's your home. And we have to light the fire, as it were, of our hearts there, so that others see us before, for our, for our work in the church to be authentic. This is what Paul said to Timothy, you don't need to turn to it, I'll just read it um, for you. 1 Timothy 5, verse 3 and 4, it's on the screen. Honour widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Let the light shine first at home. And then we find that there were professional craftsmen and businessmen. You notice the sort of people, verse 8. So next to him, Uziel, the son of Harahiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Also next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Verse 12. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halahesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. Very important person. He and his daughters made repairs. It was a family affair there. A senior government official with his daughters. Verse 32. And between the upper room at the corner as far as the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. So even the professional men and women were willing to give up their jobs, were willing to leave their businesses 
and actually give themselves very in a costly way to building the wall. They were willing to endure the hardship of that, the, the privations it brought, the discouragements, the opposition, but they were so committed to it. And there were others who actually had no benefit at all from building the walls. There, there were some who just had no, there was nothing, n- no direct benefit from being involved. Look at verse 2. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. Well, they come from Be- Jericho to build the walls. They weren't going to benefit from that. Verse 7. And next to them, Melatiah the Gibeonite, Jaden the Meronothite, the men of Gibeon, and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. They came from all over the place. And they were willing to leave their homes, they were willing to leave their families, they were willing to leave their businesses to build the wall. What is it? What made them do that? What what motivated them to do all of that? Well, the answer is they believed, they must have believed that this was worthwhile. That this was something that they could all get involved with. There's a lovely verse, if you, if you just turn in your Bibles to, over the chapter to chapter 4, verse 6. And uh, sort of this sums up the attitude of the people at the time. So we built the wall... And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. And it's this phrase. For the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. I think it's a lovely phrase. And the Holy Spirit had so worked in that whole group of people, the community, that they had this will, united will, to work for God. God had done so much for them. They, they, they didn't see it as a chore. They didn't see it as, as something, a hard thing. But they saw it as a wonderful opportunity for serving God. They didn't need persuading. They didn't need cajoling to get involved with the work of God or press-ganging in any way. They were willing to get involved. That's a picture of the church. That should be the picture of the church. I praise God for those who give themselves wholeheartedly and really serve the Lord. But of course, not everybody does. Not everybody does. I haven't got time to look at the group. There were those nobles who didn't put their their necks to the work. They didn't put their shoulders to the work. We are working together in the church for God's glory. At the dedication ceremony of a cathedral, in Milan, a little girl in a crowd called out, I helped to build that, I helped to build that. And the person standing next to her said, well, tell me, what did you do? And the little girl replied, well, I brought my daddy's lunch to him when he was working here. (coughs) And she was right. She helped to build the cathedral. You know, just as it is when we are involved. And it might seem small things that we do sometimes. You know, what have I got to offer? We're actually helping Jesus to build his church. He's, he's, he's using us. And it might be, it might be emptying a bin. 
and, or, or serving the tea, coffee. You know, welcoming in the lounge, being on security. It might be teaching in the Sunday school, leading a group, or pay, taking part in a group, or providing hospitality, or whatever it is. Offering a lift to someone, you know. That is all an integral part of what makes the church work. And it can be all done to please God, to the glory of God. And that's so for the building project. That's why we, we, as, as, as a leader and as leaders, we don't want anybody to miss out on being part of it because of the blessing that there is in being part of what God is doing. Jesus said, didn't he, it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's a, there's a blessing in being part of things and serving God. So, I asked you right at the beginning, just to look out or to be alert for any recurring phrases. I'm sure you noticed this one, this particular one. Let me read it, let me give you the emphasis. Verse 2, and emphasise the work, the word rather. Next, you get that? Next to Eliashib the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Also the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors, etc. Verse 4, and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Enoch, etc. And, and so it goes on at the end of verse 4, next to them, Zadok. Verse 5, next, it's boring, isn't it? It keeps on coming. Next, next, next. 28 times in that chapter. That phrase comes. There are only 32 verses. Working together is a key theme of the chapter. When they'd all finished, it, the fact that they finished it, completed it in 52 days, I think, if I remember right, that, that was a testimony to their unitedness, their oneness. They finished it in record time. And I think that's a wonderful picture. The whole picture of this reconstruction, if you like, is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ in many ways and of the church. We are members of one another. We're, we're especially designed not only to fit together but to, to be dependent on each other. We're the body of Christ in which there are many members and 1 Corinthians 12 is where that picture is best laid out. 1 Corinthians 12, the body analogy. And I want to look at, just read verse 21. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That's true in every area of our church life. I was trying to think of a, 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 the best illustration within the church to, to illustrate the unity that there is and the interdependence. And I, 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 suppose, I suppose the obvious one for us is, is the Sunday services. I began to add up all the various groups of people who are involved that make our Sunday services possible. The obvious ones are those perhaps who take a lead, 
the church service leaders. There are musicians and singers. They each set aside an evening to practice and then they come early on a Sunday to do that. And this, together with the sound team, whoever's on sound need to needs to come early as well for that. And then there's the laptop operator. There's the person who puts the songs in the laptop, makes sure it's all ready. And then we have people like the stewards who welcome on the doors. There's people who look after our security. There's the bulletin to produce. And then there's lots of things in the background, behind the scenes, which are all necessary for the service to go ahead. So there's someone who cleans, cleans the hall, cleans the rest of the building. There are those who maintain the building in terms of practical maintenance. There are those who help set up the lounge for afterwards. Someone needs to make sure the heating's all sorted out. There's the tea and coffee to be prepared and served, and then to be cleaned away and taken away and cleaned afterwards, all the stuff to be cited. There's someone who needs to take charge of the offering each Sunday. That needs to be counted and then banked. There's the creche to sort out, the babies to be looked after. There's a Sunday school with all of the teaching that's needed, teens and children, and the preparation involved in that. Obviously, a preacher, quite important. And then, well, it depends what you say. And, and, then, the, and then there are those who are praying for the work uh, during the week for the service. And that, now that's at least 20 groups involved just in us being able to worship like this and meet, meet together to worship God. That's, you, could, you could put that across and, and apply that to every one of the ministries in the church. All the different, in the, all the different ministries. We need each other. And I, was thinking, I came across this illustration. I love it. I don't know if you, you've seen, uh, you hear in the sky sometimes the noise of birds, Okay. Especially geese. Have you ever seen the geese when they're flying in that V formation? Isn't it amazing when they do that? Instinctively, they know that to complete that long journey, wherever they're going, they fly as a unit. And I read this, that scientists have discovered that flying in formation like that increases their flight range by 71%. Precisely, 71%. And apparently the airways that are created by each bird flapping its wings provides uplift for the next bird in the formation, supporting it, decreasing its workload and conserving its energy. So a goose flying solo couldn't complete some of those long flights. But in formation, even the youngest and the oldest and even the weakest can get there. But of course, if a goose becomes detached, it gets weak. And it falls. Its goose is cooked. <laughs> In other words, they've got to do it collectively. And in th there in nature, you've got a wonderful example of a spiritual <coughs> principle acted out. We weren't designed in Christ to fly solo. In the body of Christ, we were, we're meant to be part. Everybody doing their part. Everybody to be involved. You know, the church 
There's nothing like the church. It is un- the, the church is unique. It's the body of Christ. And we are part of that body. And Ephesians 4 verse 16, I'm reading this in the NIV. Ephesians 4 verse 16 tells us that from him, from Jesus, the whole body, all, you know, there's all born again believers, joined and held together, by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself itself up in love as each part does its work. What work are you doing? As each part does its work. While visiting um, an orphanage in Romania, a guy called Charlie Vandermeer works with the Children's Bible Hour, he visited this orphanage, which was especially for those with physical and mental disabilities. Misha was a young man of 24 who lived there, who broadcast music and Christian programs to the various orphanage buildings. And he was paralysed from the waist down. But he managed to get around because a friend who had Down syndrome, who couldn't hear or speak, carried him around on his shoulders. And Charlie Vandermeer could tell, he says, by the smile on the face of the man who carried Misha, that that was his mission in life. And according to the, uh, one of the workers there, when Misha had to go away for two weeks, his friend who carried him didn't know what to do with himself. But what a lovely picture of the members of the body of Christ. You know, in many ways, we're like Misha. You know, we're, we're equipped to do God's work, but we're dependent on each other. And in some ways, we're like that friend who carried him. There's something that we can all do, no matter how small it seems. So, how are you involved in God's work? That might be in your home. It might be in your workplace. It might be in your church. But are you using the gifts that God's given you and the, the abilities and the talents and the time that God has entrusted you with? You know, it might be spending time with someone who you know is to be lonely and you're doing it for Jesus. Or somebody who is struggling, somebody who's going through a hard time, just spending time with them, talking to them, praying for them might be helping in practical ways. might be offering to use your car. You know, that's one, one of the ways which we could so use. People who just say, I'm available, I've got a car, can, can I help with transport? So many opportunities. It may be with, among the ministries in the church. We've got some leaflets at the back there with our church ministries. And uh, there's a... There, in each ministry, there's opportunities that people can get involved with, and you, you just tick a box, and then you pass that to in. Take one. If you, if you want to know, you feel, well, what, how can God use me? I, I, I want to be used by God in, in the church. How can I? Well, take one of those, and then fill it in, go away, pray, fill it in, and then give it back to myself, or there's a box there as well to put it in. So many opportunities to serve. Such great needs. This chapter... It's a wonderful picture of a people who are motivated and committed to doing what God called them to do.
They'd caught a vision that they were part of a bigger work. Like that girl who brought the lunch. Part of a bigger thing because God is building his church. So I just want to encourage you, don't miss out by being on the sidelines. Use the time and the energy and the gifts that God's given you. Warren Wearsby in his commentary on this passage writes, when it comes to the Lord's work, there's no place for spectators or self-appointed advisors and critics, but there's, there's always room for workers. And there are. Let's pray. I'll invite the band up and... Uh, So let's have that time, small, short time to uh, digest these things and just to think how this would apply to us. And let's uh, pray that we would find our, our part to play fully in the work of God and in his church. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is a, like a lamp that shines on our path. Lord, would you, we pray, help us to lift our eyes and look up and give ourselves afresh to the tasks which you've called us to do. Lord, thank you that what we have to offer, you are willing to take and use. Well, thank you, just as that Lad in the, um, in the Gospels gave his small lunch and you, you took that and you blessed that and multiplied it. Lord, so you can take what we have to offer, as small as it may seem, and you can use it for your glory and honour as part of the building of your church. So Lord, would you do that? Would you help us to be available and willing to be used? Lord, our part, we know, is, is to offer ourselves. We want to be willing to do that. And Lord, we pray that you'd keep us with our eyes fixed on the bigger vision. Lord, that one day we will be with you in heaven by the blood of Christ, through the grace of God. And Lord, we don't want things to be, we don't want to find out that we've wasted our time here. Lord, we want to be investing in eternity for your honour and glory. So help us, we pray. And direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to sing as a response, way of responding to that, to this passage, the song, Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Let's stand to sing. <coughs>